Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome to the Tamar Yono Show here at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Today we are going to be talking about the rules of order. This is going to be a new series that I'm going to be having my guest explain to all of you. But some of the topics we'll be talking about today or we'll be trying to talk about is the Biden, Putin, uh, and the Middle East, the U.S. military. Where are we heading? Recession or depression? And Victor Davis Hansen, David Goldman, and the consequences segment. Ooh, I wonder what that one is. All right, let's uh, go to our guest. We have joining us Dr. Mordechai Ben Menachem. He is a researcher, former lecturer at Ben Gurion University, and has authored over 80 books and 400 research papers on science, history, and more. He commentates on mid. Uh, Mideast and World Issues. Welcome to the show, Dr. Mordechai Ben-Menachem. Thank you. It's good to have you with us. Okay. I, you know, I forgot to say hi to all of the different countries around the world that are listening in from all over the United States of America and Israel, Canada, the United Kingdom, Russia, Brazil, Kuwait, hello to Kuwait, France, and other nations around the world as well. It's good, good to see you all here. All right, so where would you like to, you know what, why don't you start with what the rules of order is and this new uh, series and segments that, we're going to, that we are going to be doing. Oh, very good. Um, uh, the idea is the following. Um, the world is changing very rapidly, and it is changing in a uh, uh, um, uh, highly de- decentralized manner and uh, 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 really all over the place. There's no area that's specific to this change. There's no one country. It's not the United States is changing. The, Russia is changing. Every place is changing. And people need to have a better understanding of what's going on and what it means, what it means to them, what it means to their neighbors, what it means to their friends, what it means to their relatives that may live far away from them if a for instance, somebody lives in, in, in Jerusalem or in Tel Aviv and they have a, an uncle in New York or the opposite. They, they live in New York and they have an, a, 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 a cousin in Tel Aviv or whatever. Um, um, uh, a lot of the things that are going on are very complex uh, 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 matter in, in, in many different dimensions, whether that be economically, militarily, politically, uh, uh, sociologically. Uh, uh, how does that affect your freedom? That's a big question today. How does that affect your your future and the future of your of your progeny? So what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to uh, discuss these things not just today, not just in one uh, 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 session, but over time. Uh, my, 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 my intention right now is for us to talk about this. Um, uh, 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 this issue approximately from now until the new year. The new year would be by the American calendar around the beginning of October. Okay, um, because we're talking about the, the Jewish New Year, which is the high holiday season, which is coming up, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, etc. Okay, um, so basically you're going to be kind of covering trends is kind of how I can understand it. We'll be covering trends. We'll also be covering um, issues and events that affect these trends strongly. Okay. In other words, for instance, uh, 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 the visit by, Vide- by Biden to the Middle East was not a trend. It was an event. But it's, it's, it's an event that has far-reaching effects. And most of these effects are um, difficult to comprehend, particularly for instance, the people that live in the United States or in Europe or, or in Canada or in uh, places where um, they're really not getting the news of what's, 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 what is really happening. Yeah, they're really, they're really not. Very, very partial data yeah. about what's going on and what, the, what these things actually mean in terms of the ramifications for all of us. 
And and what do you think about the fact that he had COVID when he came to Jerusalem? Well, I think that's, you know, it's sort of more or less kind of thing that I would expect from him. He's, uh, uh, he's made a total career, career of being uh, 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 inconsiderate, of being uh, uh, um, uh, 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 basically not caring for, any, for anyone other than himself, um, except when he sniffs the hair of, of young ladies. Um, he, I, I don't expect him to be polite. I don't expect him to be to act with kindness or with any kind of uh, normal human values. That's not what Biden does. He's never done that. He's been in politics for half a century and he's been to- totally consistent where that's concerned. Okay, so what do you want to tackle first? I know we you wanted to talk about specific subjects like uh, Biden and Putin in the Middle East. I would say that's probably a good place to start. Uh, and these are two events that were strongly connected and they happened uh, um, basically at the at the same time uh, Putin arrived um, literally hours after Biden left um, and that was not unintentional that was very uh, it was very well planned it was very intentional um, and I think people need to understand what they what both of these missions meant Biden came with a specific declared in- set of intentions he was going to talk about um, human rights. He was going to talk about energy. He was going to talk about uh, uh, um, uh, um, uh, um, um, integrating in his in his, his phraseology, integrating Israel further into the into the region. He didn't talk about any of those things. Everything he tried to talk about, he failed. And he not only failed, but he made actually the position of the United States much worse in every single one of those areas. In the area of energy, for instance, he came literally begging for Saudi Arabia to produce more oil. Saudi Arabia basically thumbed their nose at him after he had thumbed his nose at them. He talked about them being pariah. He talked about them being horrible people. Um, uh, I'm not defending the, 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 the death of Khashoggi. I don't you know that's something that's certainly not something that was pleasant to read about but um if um if the Saudis murdered one person every person every human being is a is a soul and is a, a an image of god and is to be honored and respected but at the same time in in the first half of the of of, of 2022 22,000 people were murdered in the United States so the United States is sort of the last place in the world that can lecture anybody on human rights if there aren't if the people in America don't have the right to live. And everyone in the Middle East knows this. Um, there is no country where it was not reported. No country in the Middle East did not report the uh, death tolls in the United States. Does, there is no country in the Middle East that does not report what's happening along America's, the United States southern border. With the, with the horrific uh, uh, images of what's going on there, utterly horrific what's going on with the sex trafficking of, of, of little children, with the drugs, and etc. So America really can't um, talk about human rights without people just simply shrugging and saying, who, who the heck are you talking about human rights? You know, where, where are you coming from? Hmm. Um, and if we're talking about oil, Again, anybody who knows anything about the energy industry knows that Saudi Arabia has more or less gotten to its limit to the term to the amount of oil that it can produce. The capacity to to expand it is basically no longer there. They're producing at their maximum. So going to Saudi Arabia to ask them to produce more is simply a stupid thing to do. Simply unintelligent. Simply something that person who does not understand what he's anything about foreign affairs might do from lack of of basic comprehension of the issue. That's not a nice thing to talk about when you're talking about the president of the United States, particularly after previous to that, we had Trump who you might, you might dislike his tweets, but the man did his homework. He knew what he was talking about when he opened his mouth, particularly in foreign places. So, so let's talk about Putin now. 
Okay. Putin, on the other hand, came immediately after Biden. He went basically to meet with the leaders of Iran and Turkey. And the long and the short of it is that Putin is gradually but methodically creating an alliance against America, which um, uh, consists at this point of uh, Russia, Iran, Turkey, and a so-called ally of the United States in NATO, which is making a point of giving all of NATO's secrets to Russia and Iran. And they're doing it openly, not secretively, not surreptitiously. They're, they're passing on this information quite openly and bragging about it. And perhaps, probably also North Korea, Venezuela, and China. China. Well, I was going to ask you about China. Yeah. Well, that's why these things matter, because uh, Putin may be, at this point in time, the most wily, the most sophisticated um, uh, uh, player on the world stage. And there really isn't anybody out there right now that can sort of compete with him with his diplomatic capabilities. He's just that strong. And he's that strong basically because Biden made him so. Biden's entire reaction to the issue of, of, uh, of the war in Eastern Europe um, created conditions in which Putin has become enormously stronger than he was before. Russia has become enormously stronger. Again, Okay, hold that thought, Mordechai. We have to go to a break. We're going to be right back. We are back here at the Tamar Yona Show on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. You can call in. This is a live show. If you're listening on Sunday, the 24th of July, and it is between 9 to 10 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time, or if it's between 4 to 5 p.m. Holy Time right here in the land of Israel, it means that we are live and you can call in and weigh in on the issue. Uh, that we are speaking about, if you have a question or comment. All right, so we are speaking with Dr. Mordechai Ben-Menachem. He is a uh, commentator on Mideast and world issues, and we were talking about Putin's rise to uh, world power, one of the key players in, in power here in the world today. And you were saying in the last segment that this was due uh, to the help of Biden, intentionally or unintentionally, and uh, do you want to sum up on that thought? Yeah, uh, 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 let's take it from the, from the European uh, viewpoint for a moment. The Europeans said to uh, Putin, you know, we don't like you. We think you're a pretty nasty person and we're going to hold all trade with you. But for now, we still need you. So we're going to implement a, a, a price cap on what we're willing to pay for your energy products. And... By the way, we're also going to force you to use our currency exclusively. Oh, and also, by the way, we're going to continue to supply weapons to kill your people. Uh, needless to say, Putin didn't quite agree to this. And Putin's answer has been to begin to literally freeze Europe. Putin has begun to halt energy shipments into Europe gradually, intelligently. And once again, European arrogance eats the brown and smelly stuff. <laughs> You're terrible. Okay. Uh, they're having a terrible heat wave right now in Europe, for anybody who doesn't know. My, my daughter's father-in-law is in Budapest right now in Hungary, and it's like 45 degrees Celsius. I'm not sure what that is in Fahrenheit for our other listeners, but it's really hot. It's way over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. And he said he, when he'd walk on the pavement, it was like his, the bottom of his shoes were melting into the pavement. It's, it's that hot. And hundreds of people, I understand, have already died 
in Europe. And one of the reasons is, I'm told, is that a lot of Europeans don't have air conditioners because there's really no need. It's not really that hot all the time except for some, you know, a small part of the year. And so it doesn't pay for a lot of them to, to go to that expense. And so now they're just like really, really suffering over there. And in the winter, facts that that that'll, that'll sort of enhance what you're saying. Please, you do uh, it. Yes. In, in in London, the runways at Luton Airport literally melted. So you're exactly correct. Wow. On that point, literally melted. They could not land airplanes there because the runway was melted. Wow. And um, in terms of air conditioning, three percent of British homes have air conditioning. Three percent. Three percent. Wow. They're suffering a lot over there. Yeah. Yes. I'm yes. trying to do a conversion here of, so here, 45 degrees Celsius, according to, I'm just doing a search here, 113 degrees in Europe. We're not talking about Arizona <laughs> or, or you know, the desert someplace. We're talking about European cities, major cities, 113 degrees that is very, very hot, and people are dying, and it's very, very sad. Go ahead. Okay, Ray Dalio, one of the more intelligent persons uh, that, that appears on the Internet, um, I, I believe he's probably one of the smartest people that has a regular uh, thing, uh, uh, a regular bro uh, cast on, on YouTube. Ray Dalio, Ray Dalio said something very poignant. The past is a guide to what is happening now. And that's true for every issue we've just discussed. The past is a guide to what is happening now. So kind of that's one of the things that people might like to remember well. Okay. I, I, I want to add just something if I can. And that is what you said last week, which I saw confirmation for in the press this, this last week, which was that Come wintertime, Europeans are also extremely nervous about how they're going to be able to survive it with the energy, uh, the, the energy shortage. How, how did you term it? That they're not going to have enough uh, energy to keep warm in the freezing cold winters that they have because of Russia and the Ukraine war, etc. Well, several governments in Europe have put out um, uh, 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 um, warnings to their populations now, buy more blankets. And I mean that just as it sounds. Hmm. Starting to sound like third world, third world country. That's what it sounds like. Well, what they are. I mean, you know, the only reason Europe is rich is because they spend hundreds of years stealing, stealing from other people. I mean, Europe doesn't have, Europe as a continent is the most resource poor continent on the planet. They only survived uh, and thrived throughout the last three or four centuries by going out to other places and stealing. You're talking about like Africa and their colonies and things like that. Africa, India, China, mm -hmm. uh, uh, the Middle East, everywhere. Uh -huh. They went and they stole. That's what they do. They're, they're, they're still doing it today. Uh, Germany dumps their toxic waste in Cameroon. France dumps their toxic waste in Ivory Coast. Uh, Belgium dumps their toxic waste in Congo. Tens of thousands of Africans die from, to from European toxic waste every, every year. And they don't have the military capability to force these 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 barbarians to stop their to stop their slaughter. This is happening now in the in in the year 2022. It's very sad, you know. That. You'd think we would know better. We would be more humanistic. That that mankind would be kinder to each other and more understanding and have grown and matured, etc. But it's it's very very sad because we want we're all brothers and sisters. We all want. You know, to live good lives, and it's 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 a pity that all this is happening. All right, uh, all let, let's move. the image of God, and therefore we should all at very. You don't have to like somebody to respect him. I don't care if you dislike me, but I do, do demand respect. Right, everybody is deserving of respect. Absolutely. All right, let's. Uh, we don't have a lot of time. Let's go to our next topic: the U.S. military. What did you want to okay, say about that? The U.S. That? military is a fascinating study. Really fascinating. The first thing people need to understand is that um, the United States taxpayer spends more money every year on its military than the next nine countries combined. That includes 
China, Russia, Germany, Japan, etc., 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 etc. Does that mean that the United States has a military which is nine times more powerful than all of these other countries? No, not, not, not at all. It, it does mean that the United States has some expenditures, expendis, expenses, pardon me, expenses that these other countries don't have, for instance, uh, and patrolling the sea. No other country today has the type of navy. I'm not talking about just size, but the type of navy that the United States has other than Japan. It's the only other country that has that kind of navy. Um, and a navy is expensive. A blue water navy is very expensive. China cannot project its naval power to the Persian Gulf, for instance, to uh, convoy its uh, uh, imports of, of, uh, of Persian Gulf oil. It doesn't have the capability to do that. So if India, for instance, uh, uh, decides to interdict and prevent oil from reaching China, it has the capability of doing that. And China cannot prevent that because it does not have a, a, a blue water navy that can travel thousands of miles. Right. And America should have a strong military. You need every country needs to have one because that, that helps also protect itself from having to go into war. If, if a country is perceived as weak, it's it's pouncing time on that country. Absolutely. Absolutely correct. So the American military is enormously expensive, but unfortunately, it is not enormously efficient. It is probably in many terms the most or perhaps the most inefficient major military on the planet today. And that is tragic because the American taxpayer is paying enormous sums for that, for that inefficiency. Um, if I can put it in very crass terms that are very unpleasant to hear, but I'm sorry, it has to be said. Um, Russia in the past 70 years has won every war that have fought except, except Afghanistan. Um, the United States in the past 70 years has lost every military engagement except in Granada. And Granada, everybody knows, was so terribly important. Tongue in cheek, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Okay, uh, so let, 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 let's understand what this means. Let's understand what kind of things we're talking about. We can look at American corporations, mammoth-sized corporations, Google, Microsoft, Facebook, these corporations are very highly involved with the Chinese military, while at the same time they refuse to have anything to do with the U.S. military. Yet they're American-based companies, peopled by people who were born and raised and educated in the United States. This is uncomfortable, to say the least. Um, the world has a, com a concept today called enterprise supply chains. These enterprise supply, ch supply chains are very important, not just militarily, but for getting goods into supermarkets and, and, and Walmarts and, 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 and uh, Starbucks and almost every kind of, of, of major store that you can think of at the moment. But these supply chains are breaking down. And one of the symptoms of this breakdown that's we're, that we're seeing today, and it's becoming more pronounced, over the years, about 30% of all food that goes through these enterprise supply chains, particularly in the United States and in Europe, but not exclusively there, 30% goes into the garbage. Okay, hang, hang on. We have to go to another break. We're going to be right back. I want to hear about this. We are back here at the Tamar Yona Show on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. This is our last segment for today, and we are speaking with Dr. Mordechai Ben Menachem, and it's uh, the name of the show, The Rules of Order. We've been talking about the U.S. military, and interestingly enough, uh, Dr. Mordechai Ben Menachem was saying that all the last few wars, except for Afghanistan, that Russia has fought, it has won. And all of the latest few wars that the United States has been involved in, 
they have lost, except for in Granada, which was a really big threat to America. (laughs) In any case, it's something interesting um, to consider. Um, So in the last section, you were uh, talking to us about, again, uh, supplies, things that we need, the supply chain. chain. So why don't you finish up that thought for us? Okay. Um, uh, um, People need to be aware that, as I mentioned, 30% 30% of all U.S. food is thrown in the rubbish. 30%. That's an enormous quantity, enormous tonnage. Now, so the, the question that everybody asks is, well, well, why shouldn't this go to feed the needy? And the answer is that there, there's simply no mechanism to do that. There is no method to facilitate in any country other than in Israel. In Israel, the story is different, but it's, Israel is the only country where it's different. Um, uh, there's no mechanism to facilitate the transfer of this quote-unquote extra food and to pass it on to those that need it. In Israel, such mechanisms do exist. And fascinatingly, these mechanisms are not government mechanisms, mechanisms that are totally in the private sector because they they can't work any other way. I, I Can I insert here how wonderful it is to live in different communities in Israel? I mean... You know, so <laughs> we have like, you know, different communities and areas have their their WhatsApp groups where people can, where can I, you know, what are the hours of the post office? Where can I get, where's a locksmith? Can anyone recommend this? It's, you know, they're very helpful lists. I'm sure other countries around the world and cities and communities have them as well. But one of the things that we get also is free distribution things that are going to be going uh that are going to be let's say expiring in a month they just put out in a certain area of our communities and it's free for the taking so we you can get like boxes and boxes of cereal that is still good for free or fruits and vegetables you know like tubs and tubs of them some of them are starting to rot you're certainly absolutely correct but People need to understand there is a mechanism behind this. Yes, and, and, and it's not governmental, like you said. It's it, These are organizations that are grassroots stuff here in Israel, and they've really yes, and got it down pat. Like, like Rami Levy or some of these super major chains, and they will make a deal with them and collect the extra food. Yes, it's just amazing stuff, you know. I, I mean, I, I've used it myself when I, I ran out of onions one day, and just by chance that day, someone had advertised, "Look at these bins of onions here, free for the taking. Come and take." So we, so we got in the car, we ran up the hill, and we, and we got. It was fantastic. But it, 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 as you said, it is uh, grassroots, not the government doing it. And God bless all of this, the, the efforts. But go ahead. Okay. Let's let's finish up with the with the issue of the U.S. military. Um, as people are aware, uh, the Bidenites have sent to Ukraine enormous quantities of mili- of military material. Um, what does that mean? What did I just say? What do enormous quantities mean? A British military think tank this past week published a report that. A year's worth of U.S. artillery production, manufacturing capability. Talk about manufacturing capability. A year's worth of manufacturing capability would last the Ukraine war today 10 days. 10 days of combat. It will take the United States a full year to produce sufficient supply to supply the Ukrainians with 10 days worth of combat material. That's where the U.S. military is today. The U.S. military today lacks ammunition, basic ammunition, artillery ammunition, airborne ammunition, ammunition of every kind, because they have been intentionally depleted. Now, this is simply managerial incompetence. By whom, I don't know, but it is managerial incompetence. The Bidenites' military objective in Ukraine so far appears to be to bankrupt the military supply chain of the United States. And they're doing a superb job of it, probably more efficiently than anything they've ever done before. Explain why. Why? I don't know why. I know what they're doing. I don't know why they're doing it. Well, what would make sense? 
this is a fact. They, they are causing the U.S. military supply chain to be basically empty. A military depends on, just as a supermarket depends on a, a constant flow of supplies for, for keeping food on a shelf, a military depends totally um, on a constant flow of supplies to keep itself uh, uh, armed properly. And there's soldiers and fighting, and we no saw what happened with France. We saw what Germany. Right. Okay. So I, I mean, I, I'm going to take a stab at guessing perhaps why this is being done. If you, if you're saying this is being done personally, uh, um, purposely by Biden, which when you say Biden to me it means the left. I don't think Biden makes any decisions on his own. I think he just. Oh, I said Bidenites. Bidenites. Okay, right. So I would take. I'll, I'll take a stab in the dark, and I could be wrong. But uh, just as somebody who is viewing world events, and uh, I would say that they want to collapse. Um, sovereign nations that have strong armies because then they can unite the world under a one world government and have and, and dissolve these armies and then they can take power as a one world government new world order well i i really can't comment on that i don't have any i don't have any data and as you know I'm, you're I'm a scientist speak, and you like to work to yes and i like that I <laughs> um, as i told you uh, just a stab in the dark yeah. Okay. I, I mean, emotionally, I might be willing to accept what you're saying uh, uh, with great sorrow, but I might be willing to accept it. But I try to keep, I try to maintain uh, uh, an adherence to data as much as I possibly can. And I like and that. I don't have any data about their intentions. They have not made them public, as far as I'm aware. But it would make sense because a strong military is not going to give in. If they're patriots and they want to keep their sovereignty, they could, you know, there's there are military coups all the time. So if you weaken well, we it and demoralize it of, of Turkey, uh, uh, Turkey for many decades, that's exactly that worked. Turkish military from the time of Ataturk until the until Erdogan was the were the guardians of democracy in Turkey. And anytime the government began to wander away from the democracy, the military brought them back. With several times they had a coup and the military governed for some time until but they always brought the civilian government back. When Erdogan came in, he destroyed the military uh, command and control system and they can no they no longer have the capability to do that. And today the Turkish military, while it's the second largest military in size in NATO after the United States, it is extraordinarily weak. And we've seen it even in, in its attacks in Syria and Iraq that it has done very, very poorly against these basically ragtag militias. And and so, then, of course, you just do what Joe Biden has always been spouting, and that is build back better. Destroy your military and then build back the big military, you know, as as, as you like. All right. Uh, okay. We're running can, out of time. I, I, can, I can cite Turkey as an example of someone who's done that. I cannot claim to know what the Bidenites are thinking in terms of what, why they're doing things. I can look at what, what, what they're doing. That's, that's fair. That's very good. Okay, we're running out of time, and we haven't even done half our topics yet. yet. So here's the next one. Where are we heading, recession or depression? Okay, let's begin with some, some definitions. People, people who haven't basically studied economics may not be quite familiar with the definitions or how these things differ. There are actually three terms, recession, depression, or stagflation. I'll try to define them. So recession, as people have probably heard lately, <coughs> pardon me, two consecutive quarters of GDP contraction. In other words, the, 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 the uh, economy of a country contracts rather than grows. It grows at a, at a negative rate in the, in the terminology of, of economics. <laughs> Sorry, we saw that happen in the United States in the first quarter, where it contracted by 1.6 percent. And uh, every analyst that I've seen so far has claimed that it has already occurred in the second quarter of 2022 as well, which means that officially um, uh, the United States is in recession. But recession is 
uh, can be relatively gentle. It can be fairly strong. I should say that a depression, which is much, much harsher, the depression is extremely severe, long-term contraction in economic, act economic activity, where annual GDP falls by more than 5%, and unemployment is double digits. The so-called Great Depression, the depression that occurred uh, in the 30s, by the way, the one who caused the depression was Roosevelt, not Hoover, as people on the left try to claim. Um, it was caused by Roosevelt, caused intentionally by Roosevelt, because the United States national debt was very large. Does that sound familiar to somebody today? Hmm. <laughs> um, that was the only depression, full-scale depression in the history of the United States, in its entire history. Today, I would guesstimate that there's a, at least a 50% chance that the United States may be headed towards a depression. Well, well beyond recession. Hmm. Many economic indicators seem to seem to show, I'm trying to be very careful how I phrase this, seem to show that that may be the direction where the where Janet Yellen and uh, what's his name, Powers, are heading the United States. And if that's so, people need to be aware sooner rather than later and act accordingly. Because remember, the first thing that occurred when the Depression actually hit the United States was to limit access to banks. funds in banks. Yes. So be aware, I've said in the past, do not allow yourself to be dependent on large banks. If it's a small one or two branch bank in your hometown, that's probably okay. Large banks, I would say today that there is no large American bank which is long-term solvent today. Wow, okay, something to think about and to ask your, uh, to take uh, counsel with about. All right, Victor Davis Hansen. Victor Davis Hansen, as some of my, uh, some of my listeners know, is my favorite historian. Um, uh, uh, I am not um, um, uh, uh, objective where he's concerned. I think he's brilliant. I think he's uh, also uh, um, uh, uh, enormously lucid. I, I love listening to him. He's a classicist. He's a, uh, uh, um, a, um, uh, um, uh, a professor emeritus. I believe he's 70 years old, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Victor Davis Hansen said something just last week, which I found very, very poignant. Since ancient times, laws were seen as a response to human nature, often modulated by religion and government, sometimes imperfectly in the case of autocrats, theocrats, and dreamy utopians. Nonetheless, civilization accepted that stealing anything, assaulting anyone without cause, or destroying the property of others were crimes by nature. Punishment prevented their recurrence since their repetition would lead to mass disobedience and ultimately the unwinding of civilization. Critical legal theory uh, subverts those ancestral wisdoms. It is, it is embraced by many in the Biden administration who ignored massive riots, arson, and looting in the summer of 2020. States such as California define theft as a mere unpunishable mistake. Now, I, I, I refer people to an incident that occurred, I believe, um, I believe it was Thursday, I'm not certain of the day, it was very recently, just, just in the past few days, a uh, member of Congress who was now running for governor of the state of New York, um, Lee Zeldin, I believe his name was, was publicly attacked by a person with blades on his in his hand, and this person this pub totally in public is filmed. Everyone saw it. The person was uh, prevented because there happened to be behind the the man happened to be an ex marine. Thank God he uh, um, uh, immediately tackled this 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 violent moron. 
Um, the person was arrested, and two hours later was released. No bail, no indictment, nothing. Attacked a congressman of the United States, and there was no, basically no reaction of the law. This is not something which is a small issue. This is not something which is a little problem. This is a major issue where people see that the law is not being Enforced. adhered to mm-hmm. in an even-handed manner. I believe there is a paragraph in the Constitution of the United States, I'm, I'm not remembering quite well enough now, that talks about equal application of the law. Right. And if people perceive that the law is for some and not for others, that tends to cause the law, the law and order to break down. And it basically means civilization has ceased to exist. Some animals are more equal than other animals, Mordechai. Yeah. Biden voters are more equal than Trump voters. <laughs> yeah. That's part, of the, that's part of the thing. Another gentleman that, I'm, uh, that I admire enormously, a person by the name of David Goldman. He's a uh, publicist, a, 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 an economic journalist. He has a, uh, 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 I believe his, he has two degrees, one degree in economics, one degree in musicology. He's also a, um, uh, 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 a music reviewer. Um, he writes for the Asia Times. Absolutely brilliant. And an extraordinarily nice, pleasant, personable gentleman. Um, and again, I'm going to quote something that he said just last week, uh, that he wrote, pardon me. Um, to return federal R&D funding to the levels of the 1970s or 80s relative to GDP, we would have to spend another $200 billion a year. That's on top of the $800 billion that's being spent now for the U.S. military. The great corporate laboratories, starting with Bell Labs, no longer exist. They would have to be reconstituted. Only 7% of our college students major in engineering against 33% in both Russia and China. Russia alone graduates as many engineers each year as the United States. Russia has uh, 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 less than half the population the United States has. But we have the choice of, accomplish, uh, of accomplishing them or condemning future generations of Americans to mediocrity. We need inspirational leadership to persuade American taxpayers to fund investment on this scale, like John F. Kennedy in 1962, when he told the nation that it would go to the moon, or Ronald Reagan in 1984, when he proposed to protect America against missile attack. End quote. What David Goldman is saying here is that the United States is not just in a position of no longer leading, it is very strongly in danger of falling increasingly far behind in all areas of uh, military and civilian technologies. The one that's being most touted by the press is artificial intelligence, where China already has a tremendous lead in front of the United States. Um, the only real, I'm going to say something that people are really going to dislike. The only real artificial intelligence innovation in American corporations is performed here in, in Haifa. That includes IBM, um, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, Intel, and several other companies. Yeah, they have boomed all, here in Israel, yes. All American companies, and I mean this literally, that are involved in areas of artificial intelligence have their R&D here in Israel. Most of them are in Haifa. Um, NVIDIA, for instance, is in Yokneam. That's besides the point. All of these American companies, Ford, which is enormously ironic, Ford, Henry Ford, the original Henry Ford, was the first anti-Semite under of Adolf Hitler. Yeah. His grandson, who now runs the company, um, has invested enormously in uh, all Ford R&D 
in terms of actual technologies is performed now in Israel. Um, and the list goes on and on. America today is dependent, not independent. Whether it's um, um, uh, uh, natural resources from Russia and China, um, uh, rare earths, lithium, etc. Um, uh, whether it's uh, artificial intelligence, uh, uh, where it's dependent on Israel, where it's military technologies, where the hard technologies are still being done in the United States. They still have some engineers. But all of the soft technologies, all of them, literally all of them, whether it be Raytheon, Lockheed Martin, uh, 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 General Dynamics, it's all done here in Israel. It's quite impressive. I, un I understand that one of the reasons they like investing in Israel because uh, our college graduates or university graduates, etc., have mostly done the army. And uh, by far, they say, this is what I read, that they were more mature and uh, perhaps more reliable as workers than their counterparts in other places of the world where they're a little bit more coddled, spoiled, uh, whatever. And, uh, and it's a very good investment here for them. Well, it's, it's, it, it, that's very true, of course, but it, it goes a little, a little beyond that because because they've, they go to the university after their army, they're more mature when they begin their college education, their university education. So it's not just a question of being more mature when they get to work, which is two or three years later, but they're already more mature when they begin their studies, so their studies are more effective as well. So they get out of their study, they complete their studies, they're already far in advanced of their peers in other countries. And I always thought that that it hurt us more because once you get out of studying and you and you have to go back to it, it's harder uh, in many ways. I felt, but perhaps, perhaps. but it's also but it's also uh, 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 with a great deal more responsibility. You, in, in many cases, these people are already married. Many of them have uh, by the time they finish university, they have they have uh, children. Remember, Israel is the only country in the entire industrialized world, the only country that has a birth rate which is above replacement. The only country. The birth rate in the United States is 1.6. In Japan, it's 0 0.9. In Russia, it's 1.3. In Germany, it's 1.2. In Spain, it's 1.0. Well, in what China, about what about India? In India, it's 1.8. Uh, 1.7, sorry. And in Israel again? And in Israel, it's 3.1. Seven. Wow. We're, and if you look at uh, wow. the areas of uh, Judah and Samaria, it's four four 4.58. Well, I've been blessed with five children, so <laughs> I'm very pleased. It's a wonderful to have a nice big family. And that's not even big. I mean, I have a neighbor who's got 13 children. And I have another neighbor further away who's got 10 or 11 children. I mean, there's it's, it's not, uh, like you said, in Judah and Samaria, it's not... Uh, uncommon at all no not at all yeah, and there's no reason why it should be and it certainly shouldn't be something that's looked down upon last week there was a uh, uh, a segment on i think it was an nbc news where they actually um advertised disdain for people who have children Right, and they're killing babies, and you know the left, the left. You know, up until birth, they can do these abortions. They call them abortions up up until the baby's birth. And, you know, in all of the years that Obama was in the U.S. Senate, which is not long, um, there was only one time when he actually voted for a bill. All of the times when he was there, his vote was present. In other words, he abstained. The one bill that he voted for was the bill to allow abortions, what they call full-term abortions. Yeah. Abortions are up till the, 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 the minute of birth. Horrid. Absolutely That's the horrid. only bill he voted for. All right. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about before we get to our last topic? No, let's go to this. Uh, uh, some issues of uh, some of the consequences of what's going on today. Let's... Um, some, one of these things is, is, is actually just kind of, um, uh, I, I, considered, I thought it was hilarious, but um, before the war began, Ukraine was listed, on, according to the, 
So the uh, uh, World um, uh, uh, Banking Associations with $1.5 billion in uh, gold billion. They have since tw sold $12.4 billion in gold billion. We all knew that um, uh, Zelensky was an entertainer. We did not know that he was a magician. <laughs> Nobody knows where this $10 billion came from. Sounds Nobody. like the Palestinian Authority. <laughs> Very similar indeed. <laughs> Very similar indeed. All right. Uh, yeah. In March, the U.S. froze $630 billion belonging to Russia, using the war as an excuse. The results have been mammoth de-dollarization. Nation after nation has reacted to this act. If they could steal Russia's cash, they can take ours with any excuse at any time. This has caused uh, 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 Malaysia, Indonesia, Thailand, Singapore, Philippines, and some say also Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, Brunei, and Myanmar to discuss creating a separate system of payments outside the dollar. This is de-dollarization. It is extraordinarily dangerous for the future of the United States and for the American wow. society. Well, we're going to have to continue this maybe next week if we have time. Thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Mordechai Ben-Menachem. Thank you all for being with us. Thank you for having me. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 